Good morning, church. It's great to be in the house of the Lord this morning, isn't it? Thank you for joining us here at the end of a, of a busy holiday season. I know that with the holidays and traveling and hosting and having friends and family and parties, it can, it can be inconvenient sometimes to, to come to, to church. So I appreciate you all being here this morning. And uh, I'm going to make you this promise. This will be the best sermon you've heard this year. <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure I heard someone say, ugh. And uh, I'm, right there, I'm right there with you. I'm that guy who, uh, who walks around my office building the last week of December saying, see you next year to everyone. People, people love that guy, right? Uh, but if you are a guest with us this morning, please, please make sure you come back next weekend too. I promise you will be blessed by Steve's message to this congregation. Please do not judge the preaching here by my sermon this morning. <laughs> So naturally, because of the new year, I've been thinking a lot about New Year's resolutions. There's such, there's such hope on January 1st every year, isn't there? There's such potential for the upcoming year. A perfectly kept diet. Going to the gym every day to work out. No gossiping. No yelling at your kids. No kids backtalking you. No bad language used. No procrastination. No bad habits. On January 1st every year, it's like our lives are made new. The problem is that January 1st turns into January 2nd, and then January 3rd. And after a while, waking up early to go to the gym becomes inconvenient. And we get to the point where raising a frappuccino to our lips or turning the steering wheel in our car has become an adequate form of exercise for us. And research in the, uh, the Journal of Clinical Psychology says that there is a certain date every year where most traditional New Year's resolutions have been, have been broken. Does anyone know what the, the date is? Okay, so there's some good guesses. The, uh, the answer is January 23rd. That's the most recent study they've put out. It said that by January 23rd, every year, most traditional New Year's resolutions have been broken. And I think there's three main reasons why this happens that I want to talk about this morning. And if, uh, if you are a note taker, then this is where you can start to make a list. And to quote my daughter's favorite Christmas song, we are going to be checking this list twice this morning. Number one, we fail to keep our resolutions because we expect to fail. You know, you know this is true. The whole concept, the whole idea of New Year's resolutions has become a joke in our society today. That, uh, that same study in the, the, the uh, Journal of Clinical Psychology, it says that only 8% of people who make New Year's resolutions even begin to stick to them, which means 92% of us just enjoy kidding ourselves every year by setting goals we do not intend to keep. I remember when my wife Katie and I were freshmen at Abilene Christian University. They made all the, uh, they made all the incoming freshmen uh, take a class called University 100, U100. And uh, looking back on that experience, it was, it was basically like a therapy session for, for freshmen. They would let all freshmen come together and just sort of talk about this new phase of our lives that we were in. And they, uh, they had you... Uh, split up by majors, so Katie was in a, a group with a bunch of accountants, and I was in a group with a bunch of Bible majors. And this is a true story. I, I, can, I can remember there was a Wednesday in December when we were all sitting around talking about our, our resolutions for the upcoming year. 
Now, uh, can you guess what a bunch of freshmen said their resolution was for the, the upcoming year? Anyone? It was to lose weight. We had, all, we had all realized that the freshman 15 was an actual thing. And so we, there was like 20 people in my, my U100 class, and 13 of us said to lose weight. And then, no joke, church, we left that class, and we all went to, to Dairy Queen and got blizzards. <laughs> we fail to keep our resolutions because we expect to fail, and then we act accordingly. And what's worse is sometimes we watch or we enable others to fail as well. If my, if my best friend Steve told me that uh, he resolved to not drink any soda in the upcoming year, I would almost feel like it was my obligation to tell him that a life without Dr. Pepper is a life without purpose and hope and joy and meaning, and it's a joke to even pretend it could happen. I would stop him from completing that resolution. And this happens a lot. Often we help our friends and our family. We, make, we help them make insincere lists of changes, and then we make sure we are conveniently unavailable when it comes time to holding them accountable. After all, if we challenge them to fulfill their vows, they might do the same to us. And who wants that, right? Of course, that's not always the case. You could be sitting there this morning saying, Chris, you're not talking to me this morning. I keep my commitments, Chris. And if that's you, I think you fall into three categories. One, you could be the aforementioned 8% who has the discipline to to, to hold, hold on to your, your resolution every year. And if that's you this morning, you need to know no one in here likes you. <laughs> or, number two, you could be the self-deceived and delusional, who I am preaching to, you just don't realize it. Or, number three, you could be my favorite type of resolutionist, the ambiguous. And this leads me to the second reason why we, we fail to keep our New Year's resolutions. We fail to keep our resolutions because they are ambiguous. Now, if this is you, you might say things like, I resolve to be happier this year. Or I resolve to exercise more this year. I resolve to drink more water this year. I, I, I resolve to be a better person in 2022. And every time I hear that, I have to ask, what does that even mean? The resolutions are so vague and so safe that success and failure look nearly identical. It says, it's either, it's either immeasurable, you say you're going to be happier, well, who but you can, met, can determine if you're happier at the end of the year? Or it can be accomplished in the first four minutes of the new year. You say, oh, I'm going to exercise more, and then seven shaky push-ups later on January 1st, you've become an inspiration to everyone who wants to keep their resolutions that year too. As the great Michelangelo once said, and I'm talking about the Italian painter, not the Ninja Turtle, the greatest danger for most of us is not that our aim is too high and we miss it, but that it is too low and we reach it. And I know, I know a preacher who said this. He said, in my experience, mediocrity reaches its full glory the last week of December when people resolve to do or to be things in the new year that are too easily attainable. So we fail to keep our resolutions because we expect to fail, and we, we fail to keep our resolutions because we set goals that are too easy to achieve or too ambiguous to measure. And finally, number three, we fail to keep our resolutions because they are too self-focused. Think about it. Our focus on the new year is, is very, very self-centered, all right? And most of the time, it's negatively self-centered. 
Let me reword some of the most popular New Year's resolutions for you. Just, I'm just rewording them slightly. I'm too overweight or out of shape. I don't make enough money. I have a bad habit. I waste too much time. I can't manage stress. I can't manage my finances. I'm not as happy as I should be. I, I, I. Making New Year's resolutions might be the most nearsighted activity we do all year long. We say these are my personal goals to improve my happiness so that success or failure comes down to who? To me. <laughs> and in an, in, in, in an interview with Business Insider magazine, Harvard professor and social scientist Amy Cuddy talked about the danger in framing our resolutions in that type of negativity. She says this, most resolutions elicit emotions that are demotivating instead of motivating. With such a simple phrase as, I'm going to stop eating junk food, we are denigrating ourselves before we even get started. So church, is it, is, I mean, is it, is it, it doesn't make any sense. Why? Only 8% of us fail to keep our resolutions, and it's because we emotionally shoot ourselves in the foot, and then we try and run a relay race all on our own. So with the odds ever against us, let me turn now to one of my favorite theological sources, the Calvin and Hobbes comic strip. It should be, yeah. So Calvin says to Hobbes, I'm getting disillusioned with these New Years. They don't seem very new at all. Each New Year is just like the old year. Here another year has gone by and everything is still the same. There's still pollution and war and stupidity and greed. Things haven't changed. What kind of future is this? I thought things were supposed to improve. I thought the future was supposed to be better. And then finally Hobbes says, the problem with the future is that it keeps turning into the present. Well, now we're getting somewhere, church. You might be wondering when we would. <laughs> Chris, we're already 80% of the way done with your sermon. All you've talked about is failing resolutions. Well, the joke is on you. I'm only 8% of the way done with my sermon because I did not resolve to, to preach shorter sermons this year. But this, this cartoon, it, it points us to a, a meaningful theological truth. The problem with the future for a lot of us is it keeps turning into the present. Most of us here in this room are baptized believers. And when that baptism happened, it's like we made life-changing resolutions to be more like Jesus, to, to be transformed into the likeness of, of Christ. But year after year, we go by and some of us, like Calvin, end up exclaiming, everything is still the same. I think a lot of us have, have, have this problem, this, this difficulty to continue to grow, to continue to mature, to make spiritual progress. The spiritual us of today ends up looking like the spiritual us of five or ten or even twenty years ago. And this, this stagnation in our, in our spiritual lives, I think it can be rooted in the same three things we talked about when talking about our New Year's resolutions. I told you we would check this list twice, so here we go. We fail to change because we expect to fail. We say we want to, to change into the likeness of Christ, but do we really expect that to happen? What happens a lot of the time is we come to a moment in our lives with a spiritual decision to make, and we make the wrong decision, and then we cower under the umbrella of sayings like, well, we're all human, we all mess up, or we're all sinners, and we begin to accept spiritual failures as normal. 
Now, don't get me wrong, church. We are all human, and we are all sinners, but we shouldn't use that as a cheap way to excuse our lack of dedication. God has offered his very spirit to live inside of us, the Holy Spirit. Why would we continue to find identity in a word like sinner when God became Emmanuel, God with us, to give us a new name? He calls us redeemed. If you're a guest here this morning, you need to know that uh, expecting, our, uh, our expecting failure or assuming our sin is going to maintain a substantial part in our life, that is not acceptable at Vero Christian Church. Paul says this in Romans chapter 6, and I like the way it says it in the message. Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? You are dead to sin and alive to God. That means you must not give sin a a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. And just like with our, our New Year's resolutions, we shouldn't sit idly by and watch others or enable others to have stagnant spiritual lives either. That's why small groups at Vero Christian are so important. And yes, I know, accountability, it can be uncomfortable, and it can be costly. But the alternative to those things are tolerance and apathy, and no one wants that, right? But I know, I know, if we challenged others to fulfill their vows, they might return the favor, and who wants that? Seriously, though, church, if you haven't joined a small group, Please make that one of your goals for 2022. I cannot speak highly. Uh, I'm kind of sad that I'm out here preaching instead of in there with my small group this morning. <laughs> and finally, moving on to number, moving on to number three, we fail to make, or I'm sorry, to number two, we fail to make real change because our commitments are too safe and too vague. So we choose this way of Jesus, and we say for 2022. I'm dedicated to being a good Christian in 2022. But this morning I have to ask, what does that even mean? In our society, Christian uh, can be defined as, well, I roll out of bed on a couple of holidays every year and I kind of like what Jesus says about how I'm saved and stuff. And alongside of that, there's this dominant worldview today of, of a vague relativism, so that if what I think it's, it means to be a good Christian, it can be wildly different than what you think it means to be a good Christian, and that's okay, especially if what I think it means to be a good Christian is restrictive on your lifestyle. So if gathering with the body of believers isn't how I define Christian, then what does it matter if I miss more Sundays than I attend in 2022? If tithing isn't part of how I define being a good Christian, then what does it matter if I only throw a couple bucks in once or twice a year? If being an active part of ministry in and through the church isn't how I define being a good Christian, then what does it matter if I'm just a number in the church directory every year? Some of us, we've thought that if we we, uh, are vague and ambiguous with our definition of Christian, then who but us can can measure our levels of dedication? Well, church, you know the answer to that question. Who can can measure our levels of, of dedication? God can. God cannot be fooled. God has called us to a radical commitment to him, Luke 18. 
He's called us to be a new creation, Galatians 5. He's asked for our whole selves to be living sacrifices, Romans 12. He's asked us to throw off everything that stops us from looking like Jesus, Hebrews 12. The bar is not set safely or vaguely low for Christians. And complacent devotion to Jesus is a huge oxymoron. It does not exist. And ultimately, we know it's not going to do anyone any good, Revelation 3. And if you're a guest here with us today and you honestly need help knowing what does a good Christian look like for the year 2022, I implore you, grab someone in, this, in your small group or, or grab a staff member or an elder or a deacon or one of their wives after the service today and have the courage and the humility to ask for some help. There are so many tools at this church. There are so many people here that are committed to helping us be the type of people out there that we claim we are in here. And finally, number three, we fail to change because we are too self-focused. So I know that over the last two decades, maybe more, uh, in at least the last two decades of uh, evangelical uh, Christianity in America, the buzzword has been everyone have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But I hope you hear something far different than that this morning here at Vero. Because God did not come to save me. He came to rescue us. And if the changes we want to make are just about making me better, then we have missed the point. As Christians, our purpose is not just about bettering self, but about making the world more of what God intended on earth as it is in heaven. So to overlap with our New Year's resolutions, maybe we are too fat. Maybe we spend too much money. Maybe we drink too much. Maybe we gossip too much. But God is longing for a year when what the people of God resolved to be at the beginning of the year is bigger than ourselves. When the question the people of God ask themselves at the beginning of the year isn't, how do I make me better, but how do we make us better? And like with our resolutions, if we only have an inward view of our relationship with Jesus, it's going to end up uh, making us negatively focus on everything we are not, and we'll end up denigrating ourselves before we even get started. So to close, I want everyone to remember who you are as 2022 gets started this year. This is a running list I've kept of all of Steve's sermons from 2021. So remember, Vero Christian, you are a child of God, saved by grace, loved unconditionally, divinely guided, forgiven completely, holy, sanctified, made blameless and beyond reproach, a temple in which the Lord dwells, the salt of the earth, a light for the world, a co-creator with God, a member of his body, a citizen of heaven, and we haven't even barely scratched the surface. Yes, we have a lot of work to do in 2022. Our world needs Jesus just as much as it did 2,000 years ago. The difference is that in 2022, he isn't choosing to be packaged in swaddling clothes. He's choosing to be dressed like you and like me. So this morning, a lot of, of this has been about refusing to be vague and safe in our definitions of Christianity that leave us stagnant and unchanged. But in our quest to be more like the Son, let us never forget the miracles the Father has already worked in our lives. 
May the truth of what God has already done serve as evidence of his faithfulness for the upcoming year and as confirmation of what he plans to do in and through this church in 2022. Not just for our sake, but for the sake of the community we serve and the world that we serve in his name. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, I thank you so much for the Vero Christian Church, for the leadership here, God, and the staff here, and the the members here, God, I just ask that you help us, God, be the type of people that shout it from the mountaintops, that the world would see us, God, and know that the love you sent into the the world 2,000 years ago, it still permeates this world every single day through us, God. And I just ask that you continue to bless this church and to continue to be with us this week as we go throughout our lives. I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.